And I am Aware Now. Aware Now, the official platform for causes. Tune in and turn it up as we raise awareness one story at a time for the causes that tie us all together. It takes guts to stand up for what's right when others choose to run as opposed to fight. While many walk away from adversity, Lisa Bowman stood and stayed to speak and publish the truth. Too many women are harassed, inappropriately talked to, or grasped. Too often these actions are seen, and too often the only consequences come to the harassee, not the harasser. Harassal is Lisa Bowman's narrative of her journey from award-winning chief marketing officer at America's favorite charity, United Way, to her allegations of harassment and retaliation that eventually resulted in her termination. From dream to nightmare, Lisa, for those who haven't followed your story in the press, please share what happened at United Way from dream job to nightmare that it became. Ellie, I appreciate it. I um, I was offered a job that was my dream role. I started in 2015. I was recruited from UPS. I uh, wasn't necessarily looking to leave UPS. I'd been there for 15 years in a variety of senior level marketing roles, had worked in the UPS Foundation, and was recruited by the CEO of United Way to take a role as their global CMO. Um, for the first two years, everything was awesome. I loved my job. And then in uh, fall of 2017, uh, I was asked to interview um, someone for a role on the executive team. And it was, it was a male. Um, the interview started off with him stepping directly into my personal space. I know you can't tell this because I'm sitting down. I'm five feet tall, maybe five, four on a good day with heels. Uh, he's a relatively larger guy and he stepped right into my personal space, um, looked down at me and his opening words were, gee, you're really intimidating. Um, I'd never met this individual before. And that's how he greeted me for an interview. Um, the interview proceeded to be more off, as I would say, um, after I invited him into my office and we started talking. Um, and they ended up hiring him. I had recommended to the CEO. I didn't not recommend that we hire him, but I did articulate to the CEO um, his behavior during the interview and that I thought he was technically competent. Um, but that he was socially off, inclusive of the comments that he found me to be intimidating. And the CEO's response to that was, well, you are. Um, so I wasn't really sure how to handle that. But from the moment that this, uh, this person started, um, which was in early 2018, uh, he began a systemic pattern of really coming after me with personal comments. Um, never about my work product, always guided towards my appearance and and not things like, I like your outfit, um, more like that outfit looks great on you, um, things like that. I had been dealing with this for about 15 months along with some other really inappropriate behavior from him. Um, and in February of 2019, 
I was forced to go to HR when he made some inappropriate comments to two women on my team that were younger and women of color who, quite frankly, were not going to stand up against a white male C-suite executive. And I think that in addition to the policy obligation that I had to report it to HR, I think it was also sort of a, a moral obligation and the right thing to do. Um, these were young women, they were women of color. As I said, they were not going to put themselves at risk by standing up to him. Um, but I think to some extent that's where white privilege comes in because that was my ability to do that. And, and I needed to do that. Um, and from the moment that I did that and then subsequently had to go back to HR two weeks later on my own behalf because he crossed a line with me. Um, I had a target on my back from the CEO who spent the better part of 2019 doing everything that he could, uh, presumably to get me to quit. My performance reviews were downgraded with no substantiation as to why, even though my metrics were off the charts. I had team members removed um, and actually given to my harasser, uh, yet the work didn't come off of me. Um, I was instructed to fire somebody on my team who had also raised some issues to HR about this uh, person's behavior, um, and I refused to do it. This was someone that was my top performer, and there was no justification. And at the very beginning of 2020, um, I was summarily called into the CEO's office and informed that he no longer needed me and I was to get with HR and work something out, as he put it. Um, they had no exit package prepared for me, no anything. There wasn't even an HR person in the room uh, when I had this conversation with him. Um, so yeah, I lost my job just a a little bit before the world tilted left with COVID. Wow. Um, it's just, um, it's a lot to take in something. Yeah. That was <laughs> it's a lot. Um, you know, while harassment in the workplace, Lisa, it, we hear stories um, of varying degrees. It happens a lot. But Every reporting, day. reporting though, of the harassment doesn't. In fact, nearly all sexual harassment at the workplace goes unreported. And those who do report it, those who do report it, often see zero benefit. So knowing this, Lisa, why did you choose to go ahead and to report the harassment that you experienced? I had to. I mean, I it was impacting my ability to do my job. Um, I was having anxiety. I was stressed out all the time. I was having to change my behavior at work to try and avoid running into my harasser, to try and avoid any interaction, spending an inordinate amount of time having to document what was happening. And to your point, Allie, this happens every day so often to women and men, candidly, um, in the workplace. But if companies would address this, their productivity would increase exponentially. Um, the amount of time that I spent navigating routes in the office to avoid an interaction with him, uh, having to document everything, um, dreading going to work, dreading dealing with him, um, having to figure out what might be a trigger that would cause him to say something to me. Um, 
all of that was a distraction, candidly, from my work. I, I will say it did not impact my performance in the least, but it was definitely a distraction um, at work. And I, you know, there are statistics out there from Times Up about the number of people who face retaliation for reporting harassment in the workplace, and I don't recall them off the top of my head, but it was pretty high. I think it was upwards of 60% of people that report harassment subsequently face retaliation for reporting it. And so that's why people don't report it. They're afraid. Um, you know, for me as an executive at the world's largest nonprofit, if this can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. And if you are a single mom, working an entry-level job, you may not be able to take that chance that something's gonna happen or or you're gonna face the same retaliation I did, which was ultimately to lose my job. Um, I think you, you know, I think those are fear factors that are real for people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And just the injustice of it, that not only dealing with the actual harassment, like the action itself, but then on top of it, then the fear of the retaliation, you know, so it's like um, a double-edged sword there. Um, that's so unjust. You know, the decision to go public with your story, Lisa, it came down to making a choice of either protecting the safety of your career or preserving the substance of your character. And you chose the latter. And for that, I would like to say that I, along with so many women, thank you. Um, the ultimatum that you were given was unjust, to say the very least. How do we change this? What do we do, Lisa? Where do we go with this? You know, I, I think that employers really need to change the way that they deal with us in the workplace, right? We've got policies that tell you you're obligated to report it. In my case, our policy said if it was even suspected, you were obligated to report it and that failure to do so um, could result in penalties, if you will, including an up to termination for not reporting it. Yet when I reported it, I'm the one that lost my job. Um, so we, we talk a lot about policies, but policies mean nothing if they're not enforced and people don't feel it's a safe space. So to me, it's really about in addition to the sexual harassment training that everybody offers, right? Teaching that bystander intervention training. How do you train your employees to intervene productively when they see something going on? Um, how do you make it a safe space for them to be able to report it? Should you be rewarding people who call out this bad behavior? Because at the end of the day, it's the people that are perpetuating the bad behavior that are the risk for the company, not those of us that report it. And I think that if you were to flip that narrative and really create a safe space, and you know, even today with where we are and people going back into the workplace, I think the contract between the employer and the employee is different. Um, employees are starting to demand the things that they want culturally in a workplace. And that is safety. That's physical safety with COVID and, and coming out on the other side of it. It's psychological safety. Um, you know, I, I really think that employers need to be rethinking how they address this. I think that there needs to be an independent third party 
that these complaints go to. You know, everybody's got an ethics hotline or this is the number that you call. I can tell you that in my organization, that ethics hotline that was anonymous was hardwired right to our attorney's office. Um, and so there really wasn't anonymity. And I just, um, you know, if we don't change this, this is going to continue uh, to perpetuate in the workplace. And we're six years past 2016 with the start of the Me Too movement. It is well past time for this to no longer be an issue in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I, I want to switch gears for a moment. Um, you know, so, so you wrote this book. Uh, as opposed to persecution, your goal uh, was prevention. Saving employees and employers from this hell is why you wrote the book Harassal and created a program entitled The Empowered Employee, which pulls insights from your book into eight actionable steps that empower both employees and employers. Can you share just one of these actions? Because a lot, again, a lot of times people will say, well, where do we go? What do we do? One of your eight steps. Yeah, so um, I think the, the most important thing is to understand bystander intervention. Um, there's multiple methodologies out there for it. Sometimes they're the 3Ds, sometimes they're the 5Ds, right? But how do you productively intervene um, when you observe a situation to step in and protect the person that's suffering the harassment? Um, I think that's really key. And most people don't know how to do that. They're afraid to get involved. Um, they're afraid of becoming a target themselves, but there are definitely documented steps that one can take um, to productively intervene and stop that behavior and extricate that person. And in my case, nobody ever did that. I, I will tell you that the other women on the executive team were well aware of what was happening to me. And it was a situation where they just kind of sat back with their popcorn and watched. Um, nobody intervened. Nobody stood up for me. And had that happened, maybe the outcome would have been a little bit different. Um, but unfortunately, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, and I have to say, going back to the book, I love the title, Harassal. I think it's <laughs> bold, it's direct, and, um, and I just, I'm a word nerd, so I love the putting together of, of terms. Um, you know, so I, I want to go back for a moment in terms of the decision that you made to come forward with your story and the repercussions that have come from that, right? Because it's not only you dealing with this reality that you didn't ask for, but it's also, in addition to the present, it's the future moving forward. What have you already, in the way moving forward, had to deal with this whole situation? So, a lot. Um, I mean, it's been two years. Um, my case is sitting with the EEOC. It still has not been finally processed. And I can't move forward with a lawsuit against my former employer until the EEOC finishes their process. So that's sort of a hanging chad at the moment. Um, the EEOC doesn't actually prosecute them. And that's another thing going back to the book and key learnings, right? That whole EEOC process that you have to go through in almost every state is sort of a mystery. So I've tried really hard to use my experience, my learnings to unpack that for other people so that they understand um, how to navigate that. But, you know, that's an open issue 
Um, so there's been no closure on that. Clearly, the longer it goes, the more I'm encountering attorney bills. Um, you know, I, I don't begrudge them getting paid, but you know, it's it's enough already. Um, and I am two years uh, without a job. It's the fact that it went public has made it really, really difficult for me to get a job in a market, no less, where employers can't find enough people. Um, I have had job offers get rescinded from me at the last minute. I have had people that presumably, as they're researching me, have tripped across the publicity and just decided, nope, not her. Um, and my most recent experience was a couple of weeks ago, I had an interview for a CMO role at an educational institution and the president of the institution, um, this was a face-to-face -face interview, uh, told me that she had read some about what had happened and asked me to give her, you know, my narrative of it, uh, which I did. And when I finished, um, she basically looked me in the face and said, well, I just need an assurance that if you come here, you won't be a problem. Um, and I'll tell you what, Allie, I probably could have had that job. I'm almost positive I could have had that job. I sent her a note the next day and told her that after careful consideration, I was withdrawing from the search. Um, I had a 50-50 shot at it. It was me and one other candidate. And after two years of being unemployed, I had to walk away from that. It was not an environment that would have been sustainable or tenable for me. This person, a woman no less, had already decided that I was the problem. And therefore, there would have been bias against me from the onset. Um, and after going through what I did, there was no way I could walk into that environment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, again, first and foremost, I, I do just wanna say thank you so much for sharing your story, for coming forward. Um, because as you mentioned earlier, that this is happening every single day. And it's not just the issue of the harassment, it is an, a secondary issue of the retaliation that follows. Um, so for women who are dealing with harassment right now, on this day, in the workplace and afraid to come forward because of potential retaliation, what advice, you've been there, you've done that, are doing that still, what advice do you have, Lisa? You know what, if we do not start to speak up and speak up in mass and loud, this is never going to change. And some of us are going to have to take one for the team, so to speak. Um, but if we all become the team who's speaking up, who's pushing back, who's saying no more, not on our watch, this can't happen. Um, that's how we start to force change. And it is definitely scary. Uh, you know, I, I had said to my husband the other day that if one more person tells me I'm brave, I don't feel like I did anything brave. I felt like I did the right thing to do. And what I was supposed to do is to raise visibility of this behavior and to call it out. You know, this happens in every sector of our society, right? It's in the government, it's in the corporate sector. We've been through the entertainment industry with Harvey Weinstein. The one place that presumably people never expect it to happen is in the nonprofit sector. Those are the folks that are supposed to be doing good. So in theory, they should be good people. But at the end of the day, they're just people. Some are good, some are bad, and this happens everywhere. But again, if we don't step up 
and start to push back. I don't see it ever changing. I feel like after 2016 and the Me Too movement started to get traction, that we were on the way to fixing this. But in some ways, it seems like we're not any farther ahead now than we were then. I think that probably one of the only areas of real tangible progress that's been made is legislation that was just passed, um, I think last week, actually. Uh, Gretchen Carlson uh, had been using her experience to really lobby uh, for the passage of ending forced arbitration in cases of sexual harassment and sexual assault, meaning that those cases would have a right to be heard in a court versus um, resolved with arbitration, which forced the accuser to remain silent. And that's a really big deal. It's, it's one of the single largest changes to our labor laws in the last hundred years. Um, these women have been silenced. And so with the passage of that legislation, it's going to allow more of these stories to come forward. But if you are familiar with Gretchen's story and what happened there after she spoke up, other women at Fox came forward. Um, same thing happened in my situation. After I spoke up, more than 20 women wrote a letter to the board saying that what we just heard about from her and her experience is not unique. All of us either experienced or witnessed this too. And so sometimes it just takes one person, right? To be the tip of the spear, if you will, to step forward, to give other people the courage to do it too. But it's only when we do it en masse that we're going to start to see some real progress here. Right, and if people are waiting for other people to do it, um, that's that's just not the time for this. And especially, I, I feel like also, you have a stepdaughter, I have a stepdaughter. Um, we, we don't want this for them. I don't want to have her come to me and say this happened and me cry with her. We don't we don't want our, our, our daughters in tears, unnecessary tears because they've been wronged in this way. And so for them, if not for ourselves, let's do it for them or someone else's daughter or someone else's, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that it goes back to the old adage about leaving things better than you found them, right? And that's our responsibility generationally is to ensure that that next generation um, doesn't know what this is, right? And that when they come to us, we say, yeah, that's something that used to happen in the workplace, but it doesn't anymore. Mm -hmm. um, why? Because we fixed it. We, we didn't want you to have to go through that. And so I'm hopeful that, you know, at some point we can retire Me Too as just a hashtag for some stuff that used to happen that doesn't anymore and, you know, it kind of becomes vintage, but we're, we're a long way off from that. Right. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing your story, sharing your truth and, um, and empowering others to, to recognize the power that they have in themselves um, to simply to speak up. And it is with this union of voices that we can finally have this the reality of things um, heard and seen. And I can't thank you enough for helping all of us become a bit more aware now. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Tune into our podcast, subscribe to our magazine, find us and join us online visit IamAwareNow.com. We will no longer wait for permission to change the world. Together, we are Aware Now.